I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. We are a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. And back again. The wonderful, the amazing Amanda Jane Stern. Amanda, how are you today? I'm good. You know, I think uh, counterintuitive to the title of this podcast, we're going crazy for Swayze. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> we're going to continue our crazy yeah. for Swayze September. Um, and we did uh, what movie? Did we? we did Point, Point Break, Break last week. And we are going to do Roadhouse this week. Yeah. Uh, Roadhouse from 1989 is a cult classic. It is one of Amanda's favorites. So I'm very excited to talk with her about it. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> it was directed by Rowdy Harrington. What a name. I, I, that's such a name for this movie. Rowdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did, you know, I, I couldn't really find much on him. He did no. Striking Distance and a couple episodes of Tales from the Crypt, but he did do Roadhouse. So, you know, you don't need to have a career of, of home runs, but if you just have one that can take the title for you, win you a World Series championship, that's all you need. Do we <laughs> so. think that's a pseudonym? Is he somewhat like, where did he come from? Where did he go? He came <laughs> Who is from he? the world. He was born <laughs> in the world. Wonderful. <laughs> He could be like an alien, like from a different planet, and he just he just knows how to kick ass, and that's what he he wanted to do. I guess. Uh, let's see what else he did. Repo Man in nineteen eighty four. Oh, okay. Okay. I guess I could see that. Uh, it doesn't really say anything. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with a name okay. like Rowdy. That makes sense. Then blue I mean, collar people up there makes nickname? sense. Name. Yeah, I don't know. My nickname would be just friendly or something like that. Or- <laughs> Or wow. Kind kind of funny. Kind of funny Rancourt, but <laughs> <laughs> it was a uh, Roadhouse was written by R. Lance Hill and Hillary Hankin. Stars Patrick Swayze, Kelly Lynch, Sam Elliott, Ben Gazzara, Marshall R. Teague, Julie Michaels, Kevin Tige, and Jeff Healy. Critically on IMDb, it is a 6.7 out of 10, so it's passing, but not the greatest. And on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the audience or the critics did not like it very much. 41% and the audience gave it a 66%. So it, uh, you know, fans liked it a little bit more, but the critics did not like it when it came out. In fact, I think it was a bomb when it came out. Critically, I understand it's not a great movie. There are problems. That is still too low. Yeah. Audience score? How the fuck is the audience score not all the way up there? How do you not enjoy this movie? What is to not enjoy? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, there's a lot of throat ripping, a lot of a lot of dancing, a lot of uh, there's boobs. If you if you like boobs, there's a few of those in there for you. If you and, like sexy men, it is really ogling the men. Those oh boobs, yeah. When absolutely. we get to the sexual stuff, uh, they every time the women. Not every time the women are sexualized. The movie does not sexualize the women. There are instances where they sexualize themselves, but the camera is always removed 
the times the camera ogles is when Patrick Swayze is shirtless. Patrick Swayze is shirtless and does chai chi. You see Patrick Swayze's butt. Other men look at Patrick Swayze shirtless and they gulp. They they blink. They they stare at him. They ogle. That is when the camera leers. It leers when we see Sam Elliott's pubes. But <laughs> yeah. when we see Kelly Lynch's butt, it's just back there. It doesn't care. Yeah. We see some butts and I like them. <laughs> we see some pubes. <laughs> see some pubes. Um, it is streaming on Showtime and Paramount Plus Premium. Um, I had to watch it a certain way, but I did. Uh, budget was $17 million, um, and in the U.S. and Canada, it grossed $30 million. Opening weekend was May 21st, 1989, so I was two years old. It uh, made about $6 million its opening weekend. And then worldwide, yeah, like I said, $30, $30 million. That is estimated. So not super successful, but we'll get to that. A couple of fun facts. Uh, due to a knee injury he sustained during filming, Patrick Swayze turned down the roles of Gabriel Cash in Tango and Cash and Mike Harrigan in Predator 2. He chose to make Ghost as his follow-up instead, as it was less physically strenuous. The knee injury ended up being a blessing in disguise, as Ghost ended up being a big hit and received critical acclaim. Tango and Cash was a box office flop, as was Roadhouse. Patrick Swayze was trained by kickboxing champion and action star Benny Urquidez, who also had a small cameo in the film. And then finally, Kelly Lynch wore padding for the love scene between Dalton and Doc for protection because Patrick Swayze was slamming Kelly Lynch against the wall. Oof, do you blame her? Wall. <laughs> also, just, look at the wall. It's it's a textured. It's, yeah, it's not a solid a fireplace wall. It's, or something. Yeah, like that. it's brick. It would be there'd be crevices and cracks. It would be hard. But to that point, Patrick Swayze could slam me up against any wall. Shit, he could slam me up against any wall. Crazy right? for Swayze. Yeah, like, teach me your your workout ways, there, sir. Let's do some chai, some tai chi, and then let's drink chai tea afterwards. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's my plan too. Definitely that. Yeah, yeah there you Wait, go. Sam exactly. Elliott over too, and I'll be like, yes, teach me your ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Show me those so, scars. So, for anyone who hasn't seen Roadhouse, I highly recommend it. But if you want to uh, skip a spoiler synopsis, go ahead and jump ahead, maybe three three or four minutes, and I will read it real quick. James Dalton is a professional cooler with a mysterious past who is enticed from his job in New York City by Frank Tillman to take over security at his club, The Double Deuce, in Jasper, Missouri. Tillman plans to invest substantial money into the club to enhance its image, and he needs a first-rate cooler to maintain stability. Handed control of all bar operations and hiring by Tillman, Dalton fires multiple employees for poor behavior, theft, and drug dealing. Dalton is introduced to local business... Magnet? <laughs> local, local business magnet, Brad Wesley, who effectively controls the town. His nephew was one of the employees that Dalton fired. His henchmen threaten Tillman, and during the ensuing struggle, Dalton receives a knife wound. At the hospital, he begins a friendship with Dr. Elizabeth Doc Clay, which develops into a romance. Dalton also reunites with his mentor, aging cooler Wade Garrett, who comes to town after receiving a disconcerting phone call from Dalton. Miho. Wesley summons Dalton to his home and reveals knowledge of Dalton's past regarding an incident in which he killed a man in self-defense by ripping his throat out. Wesley tries to convince Dalton to work for him once he extorts the double deuce, but Dalton declines. Wesley increases his attack on the club and begins to sabotage other businesses that disobey him. 
After Wesley's henchman, Jimmy Reno, sets Emmett's house on fire, Dalton fights Jimmy and kills him by ripping his throat out, shocking Elizabeth. After Wesley has Garrett killed, Dalton snaps and storms Wesley's estate, killing most of his henchmen and ultimately incapacitating Wesley. As he tries to walk away, Wesley pulls a gun on him, but before Wesley can shoot, he is shot to death by the townspeople, who deny any knowledge of what happened to the arriving police. I didn't see nothing. In the end, the town celebrates its newfound freedom at the Double Deuce, and Kelly Lynch and Patrick Swayze swim naked. So that is a very quick synopsis, which I liked, but it is Roadhouse. It gives you the general gist of it and, and all of that. So let's just jump right into it because I know you're, you're itching to go, Amanda. So, so you know, <laughs> Dalton, he, he isn't this bumbling brute of a bouncer or what we would think of as a bouncer. You know, he's a slight man. He's a he's a slender fit, but like slender man. And, you know, he's I thought you'd be bigger. I thought you'd be bigger. That's the on the running joke, right? That everyone says. Uh, he's philosophical, he's eloquent, and he's, like I said, fit yet smaller. Um, he is a quote-unquote cooler who is a leader who is set in place to de-escalate violent situations. So he's the head bouncer set in place to to cool the scenario instead of just fight, 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 fight. Like uh, like Terry Funk there, he didn't, he didn't just fight, mm-hmm. fight, fight. So as soon as Dalton steps onto the scene, he commands the bar as his reputation is widely known. People are like, oh, that's Dalton. Oh my God, that's Dalton. I thought you'd be bigger. But, you know, he has this swagger and this this uh, mystical kind of aura and intriguing nature behind him. So basically, he is a guy who knows what's he's what he's doing. And you can just live off of every word he says. Like when he's when he talks, I'm like, I'm going to run through a brick wall for this guy because he is so motivating. So have you ever worked with a person like Dalton? Um, you know, someone who is so eloquent and inspiring that, that you were just captivated, captivated by them from day one? No, not at all. <laughs> Did you, have like you known anybody exist. like that, though? Okay. The closest I think I could say I've ever come to something like that is there was an actor I worked with on a movie once, and he was just – he's a very attractive guy on screen, in person, even more so. And it was this level of, of like – have you ever stood in front of someone so gorgeous that you felt like you were going to turn to a puddle? <laughs> um, sort of. I've, I've been like, you know, just infatuated with somebody and been like, oh my God, I, it's, I just can't look away. I'm like, you're so pretty or something like that. So yeah, it's, yeah. I think but so. He was, he was also very, very nice and very, very smart. And I was just like, you could buddy, you could say anything to me. Um, That's the closest I'd say. I've never worked with anyone who really inspires that much. You know, I've worked with people I absolutely love, who Mm -hmm. I feel incredibly safe with, but that level of of like, they are a god almost? No, not at all. Yeah, the art of the uh, the speech is a very um, interesting quality to have. I mean, I've worked with people, uh, my buddy Doug, who I worked with at Target, he was he had this business acumen and he was very, very smart. Unfortunately, he left Target because they just they were dicking him around too much. But he was a manager. And I just remember when I would speak with him, he was very calculated in what he was mm-hmm. saying. And he, he wasn't condescending. He knew what needed to be done. And he said it in a way that was, you know, in layman terms and um, people could buy into it. And so I strived a lot because I was a manager there, too. I strived a lot to to emulate him when I when I would present in front of the 
uh, this target team members, the other employees. Um, and so for him, I mean, when we'd have conversations, I was like, man, like, yeah, I'm like motivated now from this. Um, in, in the business world, I know that um, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, her her thing, <laughs> people, I, mem- I remember during that documentary, um, one of her employees who went into her office to quit, she talked him into staying for his job and then he got like re-motivated just by her talking. And that happened like three times. And he said she is just, she has the gift of gab and knows how to, how to sell it basically. Um, See, I, I think, uh, I think most people are full of shit. So I, I'm just very wary of everybody. So I'll buy Swayze in a movie, but I think in real life, I'm just very like, wary of authority and all of that so i'm like you're saying things and i don't know that i believe them well i know that it's it's it would be really cool to have somebody come in like that like i'm thinking of like a kitchen nightmares right so a gordon ramsay comes in and he completely renovates your 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 bar or whatever the shows are called right i mean Mm -hmm. I, I know that when I go to things like that and I'm surrounded by other professionals or somebody who just really knows their stuff, that motivates me to do a better mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. So with work, like I just got back from a work conference and, and the stuff I was learning, it wasn't really anything new. It was just reinforcing kind of what I already knew, but it gave me more motivation to to work a little bit harder in certain areas because I'm like, cool, okay, this opened it up a little bit more for me. And I think that's kind of what Dalton can do. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Swayze just does such a good job from the get go in this film where you see him and it's his eyes. He's just mm-hmm. he's looking at everything and he has this look on his face where, you know, he is in control. He knows exactly what's going on and he's playing a game of chess and it's like, you know, metaphorical chess. And he just he he knows his next move mm-hmm. before, you know, yours. And so I, I think that that's super cool. And it, it it's a really good way to introduce his character to us without giving a ton of exposition like mm-hmm. they they do enough right like so uh, the yeah, bar manager what we need to know but he's also he's set apart from the rest of them you know he watches the fighting but he's not joining the fighting because mm-hmm. like mr tillman approaches him and he he knows he's like the best right um and and that's just kind of what it comes down to but also when tillman approaches him the first time he's just watched Dalton break up this fight. You know, he sends these guys outside and doesn't fight them because he doesn't give a shit. He's not trying to start a fight. Um, And he just goes right back in and goes up to his his office, takes his shirt off and starts sewing himself up. And Tillman walks in when he's shirtless, giving himself stitches. And the first shot is just Tillman looking up Swayze's chest (laughs) and and swallowing. (laughs) So this... To the point of we've already started, we are sexualizing Patrick Swayze. This is our sex symbol in the movie. Yeah. And and maybe that's, you know, that's the point of it, too, because Patrick Swayze is a handsome man and, and you put him in this role. I mean, they could have gotten somebody who is a, a bigger brutish guy like a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger. I, mean, I don't know if they could have got him for this movie, but you know what I mean? Instead, they have a more lean and and muscular and attractive uh actor in Patrick Swayze and and you're right it is you know he's got that perfectly coiffed mullet and his skin <laughs> is good he's got good eyes and he dresses well for what it is so it's it's hard to not be uh you know I don't know uh 
taken away with with how he looks and and just be like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm totally sold. It's dressed for the part you want, right? Not the part that you have. And 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 he is so influential in in what mm-hmm. he does. His reputation precedes himself, but also his look is is something that people can latch onto. And so I I do think that that was on purpose. Um, the, I also sexualizing think, him. Oh oh yeah, it's, it, the movie is deeply homoerotic and I think it's very intentional and it is definitely playing with ideas of toxic masculinity and it's also playing with the western genre. I did say before we did that this this is basically a neo-western remake of the movie Shane with Alan Ladd but set in the 80s in a bar mm-hmm. in Missouri. Um have you seen Shane? Uh no, I have not. Okay, um, so this I, is I know what Shane, Shane is. It yeah, is no, I know this. I know what Shane is. I just I unfortunately have not seen Shane. I do actually recommend it. Westerns are not my favorite genre as a whole. I'm I'm not a John Wayne girl. Um, Marion could go suck it. Um, <laughs> he was a prick. But um, Shane is an interesting movie, and this is this really is a remake of Shane with a flip on the end and more of a commentary on this sort of machismo. And that's why I think casting Patrick Swayze is so interesting. And I know I touched on this. Uh, two weeks ago when we talked Point Break, but where he stands in terms of that macho masculinity is he's he's a sensitive guy. Even when he plays these tough guys, he does it with a sensitivity. It's the you only fight when you have to. You don't fight just to fight. And the only time he really goes out and starts the fight is after Jimmy sets a fire at Emmett's, and that's when he completely loses himself, and you could see him grappling with that because that's not who he is, and it's not who he wants to be. And I think a lot of these other macho tough guys we get, it's not as nuanced and in-depth. It's just like, yeah, you fight. I'm a big dude. I fight. That's fine. But but Swayze's whole thing, and it's Bodhi too. Bodhi was all philosophy and the waves. You know, He's not prone to violence immediately. That's not what he wants to do. Yeah, even and I did see a lot of similarities between Bodhi mm-hmm. and Dalton. Even when Bodhi, you know, shows Johnny that he kidnapped Tyler, he, he's like, "I'm sorry, I have to do this, man." Like mm-hmm. he wasn't happy about doing it. So yeah, I did see a lot of similarities, and I, I think that draws into it. I'm going to jump to this one because you know you already you already mentioned it. Um, so this film it draws much inspiration from uh, the Western classic Shane, Ooh. and. I guess my question would be, how, how can Roadhouse be perceived as a reimagined Western film? And like, what are some of the elements that popped out the most? I'm so excited about this one. Okay, so back in college, I uh, I was a film student, no shit. I, but <laughs> <laughs> one of the classes I took was called Icons of Masculinity. And we studied basically the American tropes of masculinity starting with early film up to the present day. And we did the Westerns and Shane was a big one because it's a seminal Western. And the whole idea of the lone cowboy in the Western film is that, you know, he's on his own. He rides into town on his horse. In this case, it's a Mercedes. And there's a bad seedy element in this town. And Shane, it's it's a gang. And our lone cowboy has to save the town. You know, he has to rid them of this element But at the end, he still is a lone cowboy. He's not part of the town. He's not part of the family. He represents the violence of the lawless Old West and can't live in the modern society with, Mm -hmm. you know, the new frontiersmen. He can't be part of these families. So he has to ride off into the sunset, find another town to save, so on and so forth. 
And that is Dalton's philosophy. He even says, you know, I'm out of here once I'm done. But that changes. And that's because he eventually, like, not only does he fall for the townspeople, not just the doc, but he, he you know, cares about the other people. It's that they embrace him in a way that in Shane, they don't necessarily, there's the family, but it's not like an entire town that's embracing him and saying, no, you are one of us. You have helped us. It, it's saying that, yeah, you're right. That lawlessness, that extreme violence is not good. You don't ride off to, to continue on with that. It's find that middle ground and mm-hmm. and settle down and be a person. So that is my whole thing on it in the Western genre. Yeah, I love it. I, You know, I haven't seen Shane, but I know enough about it, I should say. I know I say that a lot on this podcast. Um, it is on my list. I, I, I will watch it because I do enjoy Westerns. Um, they have a lot of issues, but I think it's important um, in the annals of film history to, to watch. My favorites and, are the ones that kind of do things with the genre. Mm-hmm. This um, High Noon, which, you know, is, is all parable about the uh, anti-communist witch hunts, um, mm-hmm. just kind of ironic, and um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is also a heist movie, deeply homoerotic as well. So, <laughs> I I think I mean a lot of cowboy films have a lot mm-hmm. of homoeroticism in them, and that's why it's funny that Brokeback Mountain, you know, because they kind of just exposed what was going on in cowboy yeah. films for a very very oh, long yeah. time. So um, homoerotic. Yeah, uh, I mean, Sam I, I, Elliott. We should talk about how homoerotic Western films <laughs> we'll, are. We'll get Particularly there. Particularly this I, I, one I that you are in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I promise we will get there because we got a lot to say about him. And you his, know that his he's awesome been married beard. to Catherine Ross for thirty years, and she's in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Good for him. Oh no, it's more like forty years now. They got married in eighty-four. Oh wow, good for mm-hmm. him. He's yeah, her fifth he... husband. Oh wow, yeah. His his voice is just incredible. Um, <laughs> it's it's so iconic, and it can you know. He's still doing commercials and stuff like that. Oh, that voice is, he is, there's a, there's a Vulture article I found because I, in preparation for this, I tried to see if there was any, you know, kind of re-looking at Roadhouse analyses. Mm -hmm. There really isn't, which is crazy. Um, I pulled up what I could find, um, but someone on Vulture did write that Sam Elliott is the real sex symbol of this movie, and <laughs> I I agree. I mean, it takes a lot to make me say Patrick Swayze step to the side, but oh boy, <laughs> Sam Elliott. Because also, his character could so easily be creepy with his lines and what he does, but the way Sam Elliott plays it, you're just like, uh-huh, yeah, tell me more. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. Um, with with that Western uh, element and that theme, I mean, I can see that totally with this. And what I was getting at with Shane was, you know, so Logan, the the mm-hmm. X Men movie that was remade or not remade, but that was made back in like 2018, I think, or 2017, that follows Shane pretty mm-hmm. well. Um, they even mention Shane. There's yeah. the allusion to it, but it's the same way. It's it's you know, he's a man. Logan is a man who has outstayed his welcome and he's in a time where yep. he's, he, he's too violent for the times that are now. And uh, spoiler, he ends up dying at the end, mm-hmm. but he realizes what he needs to do in order to protect his daughter and he sacrifices himself, but he clears out a gang of bad people trying to do bad things. And they, you know, they reference that in, in that movie. And I can see that for this is, 
Dalton just thinks it's one last job or not one last job, but he thinks it's a quick job and he's just going to continue his nomadic life and move on, which is very, very Western to me where, you know, yeah. he doesn't have a home necessarily. He's just a, a wanderer. He's a yeah, John Wayne. He's the West. He, yeah, he, he doesn't he's, fit in anywhere anymore. Exactly. The searchers, all that kind of stuff. And he comes to this town with the idea in mind that I'm only going to be here for a few weeks. He's going to help the bar clean up and then he's going to be gone. But you're right. You can only be pushed so far. And his whole mantra is be nice. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, Sam Elliott is that voice of reason for him where he's like, you don't have to do this, Mio. You need to pack up and, and just leave. Like, you know, this this is over. You you, you just have to, to to give up and or not give up, but you have to give in and say, okay, you win. I'm not going to do this because it's not worth it. And he tries to talk him down. But at a, at a point, it's like everyone has their tipping point. And I think mm-hmm. we see that with, with Dalton is he he has his tipping point. Oh, and yeah. that's what Westerns do a lot of is you get to see that like the Wild Bunch, same kind of way. They're a mm-hmm. bunch of villains. But then, you know, they know they need to go do this final thing to save their friend. And then they're like, we're all going to pretty much die, but let's do this. And it's it's incredibly violent, but it's incredibly awesome. But that's also something else about the lone cowboy trope is that he stays apart from other people. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that Sam Elliott character, that person that he is that close to. Like he and Sam, he and Sam Elliott are that close. It is yeah. it it is a deeply loving relationship. Yeah, he's his mentor slash father figure slash mm-hmm. brother slash whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call that. Yeah, I'm Even here for it. I don't think Sam Elliott was that much older than he was, but yeah, it's uh... Sam Elliott's what eighty three now. How old would Patrick Swayze mm-hmm. be? Uh, Let's I don't know. see. I'm checking. Sam Elliott is currently no, he's 79, and Thanks. Swayze. It would have been. He was born in 1952. Okay, he was born in 52, and Elliott was born in 44. Yeah, so, yeah, so he's only he's eight only years. eight years older than he is. Which, he just I mean, has that gray hair. Yeah, he just has the gray hair. And that's why I was like, he's not that much older. He can't be calling him kid. So, but I get it, you know. But I also think in the grand scheme of being a bouncer at a bar, what mm-hmm. kind of longevity does that career have? Clearly enough to be an old man with long hair and, and nice pubes. But God, he um. is so sexy. <laughs> he is like, oh, boy. So I want to talk about Dalton's rules. He only has three of them. Never underestimate your opponent, take it outside, and be nice. Those are the first three things we get introduced, uh, well, we see happen with him at the bar in New York. And then when he goes to Jasper, he explains that in in the um, orientation section to his new crew, basically. And I think they're all fantastic options when dealing with troublesome individuals and de-escalating situations. Mm -hmm. The third rule to me sticks out the most. Be nice. You know, someone calls you a cocksucker, ignore them. Why is this rule so paramount to the entire film of Roadhouse? Just be nice. Well, because at the end of the day, especially in the grand scheme of the bar, it's not personal. It's just, you know, there's no reason to fight if you don't have to. It's not, he doesn't want to glorify violence. He doesn't glorify machismo, you know. Um, And to the counterpoint, Jimmy, who fuck guys like him in prison, um, does represent that machismo he does want to fight he is a itching ball of angry nerves and that's and dalton just thinks that's fucking stupid that's not how you get anything done and 
you know, if you look at the bar the way it is before he cleans it up with the first bouncer, of course it just keeps breaking out into violence because that guy's just like, yeah, I'm going to fight too. That doesn't solve yeah. anything. That's not how you solve a problem. And and that is also what he is constantly fighting against, especially when it comes to Brad Wesley and his goons, that he can't just be violent because that also then makes Brad Wesley escalate dangerously. And I think you you nailed it with that is is violence begets more violence. And 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 Dalton knows that, but mm-hmm. he's starting to lose his way because Brad Wesley is is pushing him and he's he's starting to affect the people around him and and his life. And and the entire movie, you know, Dalton is trying to be nice. He's letting things go. He's letting these whatever, you know, getting slashed by a knife go. Sure, he's fighting them, but it's more of defensive or get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. He's not blowing up gas sta- or blowing up auto parts stores or anything like that. It's once Brad Wesley starts doing that, then he's like, okay, now he's this is... Pu- yeah, he's pushed to it. Now he's he's pushed. And that's and I think that's more what I'm getting at is like, that's how I perceived it. You know, the be nice thing. That's mm-hmm. an overlying theme of this entire movie. But it's like, how nice can you be until you're pushed to that that brink? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've seen it in other neo-noirs like Unforgiven, where, you know, <laughs> William Money is is the entire time, he's, he's not going to go back to the way he was, but he's mm-hmm. pushed after Ned gets killed. And he's just like, fuck, you push me to this point yeah. and you, you, you don't want this smoke, but he he does. And that's what Patrick Swayze does. Um, and it just keeps it keeps getting, uh, you know, progressively right. larger. It's not like there's an element of law enforcement in this town. They've already established that Wesley has yeah. them all in his pocket. Oh, yeah. Which is really weird at the end when they're like, what happened here? I didn't see nothing. It's like. So, okay. <laughs> Do you know why that whole I didn't see nothing thing happened? Hmm. It's a real thing. There's a real oh. town in Missouri in 1981. Uh, the town, the literal town, it was a town of 440 people um, called Stilton, Stetson, something like that. Stinton? They got together, like 60 or 70 people. They had a meeting and decided they were going to kill well, who was basically the town bully. Now, this guy had 47 convictions to his name um had just gotten away with some other violent crime the law enforcement was not stepping in no matter what this guy did he never got sent away and he was terrorizing this entire town so one night they cornered him in his truck and killed him and then they when the town sheriff arrived at the scene mind you he had been in the meeting to plan this whole thing there were no shell casings there were no guns and nobody said everyone said i didn't see anything you see anything i didn't see anything (laughs) and so over the years even when other law enforcement would come in they couldn't find any definitive evidence enough because nobody would talk gosh that's so crazy i just i can't believe that i can't that's that's so funny to me that no one would talk. But there's a documentary about it that came out recently. It's called No One Saw a Thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'll have to look that up then. Yeah, I had to look up the story because I knew the first time I watched it. I, I read a fun fact about that. And then that fun fact is no longer on IMDb. And I was like, no, mm. no, no. I read that. I, I did not dream that. I have to find it. So I Googled it and I go, oh, there it is. Yeah. Skidmore. There it called. is. Skidmore. I was right with the S. 
Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. But and I mean, it fits. You know, it fits the movie. Like, I'm not. The movie's pretty ridiculous at times and over the so top. Ridiculous. So it fits the movie. And and honestly, the police who were being paid off by him were also probably like, eh, fuck it, whatever. Yeah. Like he's he he is an awful, awful person. They're um, still probably threatened. He is a terrible, terrible piece of shit. Yeah. And I mean, I just I love Dalton's his, his mantra and his rules, right? I mean, he he's absolutely right to be nice. It's so cool to see how the bouncers transform and the entire mm-hmm. club gets the facelift and you you see everyone's happy and stuff and and they're not really getting in fights necessarily unless it's unless it's absolutely mm-hmm. necessary. And yeah, that's such a good tactic of just take them outside. You know, I did um security and loss prevention for uh, over over a decade. Um, and so I dealt with a lot of unsavory characters and that was one of the hardest things in my younger years doing it when, you know, someone calls you an asshole or whatever to your face is you got to set, set that aside and realize they're mad at the situation or whatever's going on. They're not necessarily mad at you. Um, and so it is really hard to, to step away from that, but honestly using that tactic, like Dalton saying, or one that I used to do all the time to deescalate situations, I would just ask them the time. Like if someone's getting like in your face or mm. something, I'm like, hey man, do you have the time? And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, I just need to know what the time it is or what time it is or something. Like if I'm going to deescalate someone else's problem. Right. Because then it makes just calms their everyone. Mind. Yeah. yeah it, it calms everyone down. And then, yeah. Um, so it, it, it's cool to see that happen. And I'm glad that that was kind of like the uh, a, a big part of the film. But yeah. yeah, it does. It The movie definitely does not support violence for the sake of violence. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and you've already kind of this kind of answers itself because we've we spent the past half hour talking about it. But obviously, you absolutely love Roadhouse. Uh, unfortunately, uh, yes. it, it was not well received when it was released and it needed some years to gain a cult status. So explain to me why you love it so much and maybe why it became cult status good. I mean, for one thing, it's fun. How do you watch this and not have fun it's it moves you're never sitting there like oh god this movie's still going on great now what's happening like it keeps moving it keeps ratcheting up the tension it's going it is so much fun the the chemistry between Swayze and Sam Elliott just their performances all of the men are like they are hamming it up and it's amazing like Brad Gazzara doing um, Wesley, Ben Gazzara doing Wesley. He's like almost doing drag. And it is, you know what he's doing? <laughs> he's doing um, Frank from um, uh, Blue Velvet. That's what he's doing. Oh, yeah. And it's, he's just having so much fucking fun. Like it is, it's, it's a joy to watch. And then I also think that, as the years go on, people reevaluate movies and you're looking at it and sure, it came out. There are lots of action movies. There's there's lots of movies all about machismo and it's like the Rambos and all these guys. And this is saying, yeah, but that's actually not good. Like this actually has something to say. And I think people are kind of reevaluating that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, we've done enough movies on here or I've seen enough movies and, you know, reviewed them on here or whatever to, to know that. Yeah, sure. Movies don't necessarily they they're not going to hit 
every time you, you see them right from the get-go, but sometimes it does take a little bit of time for people to understand, or maybe the audience wasn't ready for something like that. You know, fortunately, we live in a time where you call it woke or whatever you want to call it. I call it that we're just more educated and more yeah. aware of our emotions and, and our surroundings. And so we can understand certain films and why they're good now or why they're problematic now. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this movie would just be a fun romp and I'd be like, okay, I can get down with this because yeah. it's, it's an action movie, but it's a different kind of action mm -hmm. movie. I'm like, wh why would I ever be interested in this mundane thing, a bouncer? I didn't know there's there was this network of bouncers and like one was called a cooler and all that stuff. And so, But I also think that there might have been a marketing issue. You know, it was it was definitely marketed as that standard action movie. Mm -hmm. And a lot of fans of the film in modern day are women, LGBT, non-binary, trans people. That's who it has really ended up resonating with. And it's because, oh, wait, it's actually saying something. And I remember the first time I watched it, I, I went in thinking, this is just going to be a dumb, fun action movie. Like, I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be really stupid. But you know what? It's got actors I like, and it's just going to be dumb. And I watched it, and I thought, wait. I mean, yes, it is big, dumb, fun. But there's an underlying thing here, and it's a really smart spin on the Western tropes. You know, like, this is all the shit that we talked about in film mm -hmm. theory classes. It's doing it through the lens of a big, dumb 80s action movie. Yeah. And I think if, if if this movie could be released as it is nowadays, I think it would be appreciated more. And then obviously up, upgrade the effects a little bit. Um, yeah. I am worried, though, because there is a remake of nope, Roadhouse that's going to be starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so it's currently in post-production. No, thank um, you. I, I, I don't know much about the movie. Um, I was trying to do some research today. Uh, so I clearly see that you, you're not interested in nope. it. But um I guess the synopsis is basically Jake Gyllenhaal plays a former uh, UFC fighter who becomes a bouncer in Florida in a town where not everything is as it seems. And so I kind of want to see it because Doug Lyman is directing it and he did um, uh, Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, that movie, which I absolutely mm -hmm. love. It's like one of my favorite movies. So I, I, I feel... So it's that a different plot, I, kind of. What? It's a different plot. Well, and I, I feel like I need to give it a chance because it's coming to Amazon Prime, so you know that saves me from going to theaters. But I am really worried because I, I think you know just what we were talking about, how audience was weren't really ready for it, and 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 you know the trans community and and LGBTQ community as a whole, you know, like it and they understand it has more meaning. I'm worried that this new one starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and I think Conor McGregor's in it a little bit, and there's some it's other- just dumb know, men. I, I think it's gonna be- solving any of the issues that actually yeah, exist. Yeah, I think it's gonna be just more of a action, yeah. like bang, bang, punch in the face movie. So that'll be, a, that'll be really disheartening, I think. So there was another remake in the works that was gonna be Nick Cassavetes writing mm -hmm. and directing and Ronda Rousey starring. That could have been fascinating because I think that probably really would have spun things. I think that you're right. The Jake Gyllenhaal thing might just be a dumb action movie and not looking at, hey, what's this movie actually maybe saying? What about it resonates with people? It's not just that it's dumb fun. There's something else going on here. And if it's a different plot, okay, mm -hmm. we just give it a different name because at the end of the day, 
yeah, I know the movie has, has flaws. It definitely does, especially the female characters could – and it's not that I think they're sexualized. I just don't like the great characters, you know? Yeah. They're just there, you know? And and Kelly Lynch is not a great actress. She's She really isn't. <laughs> Denise could be fleshed out more because she's really fascinating, but Doc is also really fascinating, and they could be fleshed out more. At the same time, I don't totally care. They're not the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. The movie is about this kind of toxic masculinity, and I'm – fine with that you know so that's where and sure there are definitely some tonal issues of are you a comedy are you a this i don't give a shit it's still fine (laughs) and movies today don't have there's a sexy grit to roadhouse Mm -hmm. it's like it's dirty it's grimy it's very 80s it also kind of makes you want to (laughs) fuck Because of all the rock and roll and the dancing and the the adrenaline. Everything is so clean now and so sexless. And I'm definitely of the mindset that like I enjoy a superhero movie every now and again. I do. I'm a little overwhelmed by them because they keep coming out and I'd like some other shit. Yeah, I'm tired of them. I also do think that like we've, we've created actors and actresses now to be so perfect looking. They're unhuman. And if you look at Sam Elliott, if you look at Patrick Swayze, absolutely sexy, but in a way that says, I fuck. And there was a, an article <laughs> about how sexless movie stars are now that they've become these like Adonis-like creatures that they're devoid of sexuality. They don't say to you, I get down and dirty. They're just pretty. You look at them like you do a statue, but you don't want them to do dirty things to you. This movie, you want it to do dirty things to you. I mean, and I think I'd Roadhouse let, needs that grit. I'd let Margot Robbie do dirty things to me. So, and she looked uh, amazing in, in Barbie. So, <laughs> I think the article was more about male stars oh, okay. today. That makes sense. Yeah, you're, you're right. This does have the, the very late 80s, early 90s mm-hmm. vibe to it. And I know what you mean with that gritty realism almost. Um, but it's it, but it has surrealism in it too, mm-hmm. where you're like, well, obviously there's no bar like this called called the double deuce that would no. have, you know. Um, but or as to- Sam Elliott calls it the double douche. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you're still like, yeah, you make that sound sexy. God, his voice is so great. Yes, you know? it is. You know, that voice could do dirty things to you. <laughs> He's just all around is fantastic. But the one thing I was thinking of was, you know, the, the so. Along the lines of what you're saying with the toxic mas- masculinity, it's so funny because all the guys are wearing cutoff shirts, right? Mm-hmm. And and many of them, almost all of them, just don't look intimidating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, like a bigger guy, but I also know size when I see it. And I'm not a fighter, so I'm not going to like start shit with somebody. But like those guys, all I'm saying is if I got into a scuffle with them, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could kick their ass. But that's what was so cool about it was, you know, like the guy that that Brad beats up, one of the henchmen, the tall guy who's like cul-de-sac hair. Oh, he, yeah. He gets punched a few times. That guy looks like he does like my taxes or something. And how is he supposed yeah. to be a henchman? He looks and like then, a CPA. <laughs> yeah. And then you have like fat farmer John, the trucker guy who I'm like, I'm surprised he's <laughs> Tipper. not. Yeah, Tipper. I'm surprised he's not like he can walk. It's insane. Like the guy is just huge. And and but even inversely on the on the bouncer side, you got the big guy, which makes sense for like bouncing and security because he he is a big guy, and you know I don't know he's not quick, but I mean he he'd be a big person to like hold you or something. Yeah. So none of the guys were like 
you know, jacked and, and out of control, except for maybe a couple. And I'm worried about this remake that they're going to mm-hmm. have that just a lot of meatheads. But I think they're losing sight from what Roadhouse was. Like I said, yeah. Patrick Swayze was more of a lean, muscular man. And the, the ongoing joke was, I thought you'd be bigger. Um, if you see pictures yeah. of Jake Gyllenhaal, he did um, some filming earlier in, in March at a, a, a MGM uh, for a UFC premiere. And like, he oh, no. has a shirt off and he's in no. gear. He's jacked. Like See, he looks so great. I'm tired of that. I'm but so... he looks he looks really great and I really love Jake Gyllenhaal. So that's a that's something that I I want to give him a, a chance. Um but I'm worried it's going to fall flat compared to to this and it's going to lose what you're saying like that that kind of grittiness and that realism and that that just sex me eyes that he gives. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be a bunch of guys puffing their chests out and you know being right, dummies. and being like, look how macho and how big my muscles are, and nobody cares. <laughs> no one gives I mean, a shit. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's like the Hugh Jackman thing of, of when he is on a men's magazine and a, a magazine marketed to women, and what and and when we market like these men's bodies, who is actually turned on by that? Mm-hmm. It's not straight women. Mm-hmm. You know, Hugh Jackman on on Men's Health is in his full on Wolverine, got the claws, big muscles. A women's magazine? He's in a pink apron baking a cupcake. Oh yeah, he's a handsome guy. I like. He that is Hugh actually he's an interesting. He's kind of like in that Patrick Swayze yes. vibe of like, yeah, he's a big guy. He looks like he could take you down, but he's also soft. Like mm-hmm. you don't think he's going to, you know? Yes, Patrick Swayze could fight a bitch, definitely. But he's not, unlike uh, Brad, who is violent for the sake of being violent, he's not going to be violent to a partner that he's with. That's not who he is. Yeah. You have to push him to that level of violence. So he he represents this kind of like safe macho-ness. Mm-hmm. Like you could hold you could hold him in your arms or he yeah, could, you could like be held in his arms, I should say. There you go. It's like a teddy bear. <laughs> Very smooth teddy bear with no body hair. Yes, that that too. So, so while you know, while I really enjoy Roadhouse, and I don't know if I made that clear during this conversation, I really enjoy this movie a lot. Um, I do think it suffers from a very big problem. I think it has a villain issue. Mm -hmm. Brad Wesley, you know, in theory, he's a great foil villain. He strongly contrasts everything that Dalton is. He's cunning and psychotic, um, and it, it works well for his character. However, I feel the film suffers when they start incorporating his quote unquote fighting prowess. And like, it's just it's not believable to me. This short 50 plus year old man is able to beat up guys twice his size, like the accountant and and hold his own against Dalton, albeit, you know, Dalton was fighting hurt with a gunshot wound. It still doesn't matter. I think Dalton could kick his ass with both arms tied behind his back. Well, He doesn't really beat up the accountant. The accountant is already injured and he's standing there and he's not able to fight. Like He is not allowed to fight back. But I still don't trust him to be able to do any of that stuff because I'm like him throwing a punch and not wincing is is crazy because punching hurts your hand. So I just I, I, I guess I don't buy it. And and I think I want to know kind of what your thoughts are on taking this this guy who doesn't look like a villain, mm-hmm. but plays a good psychological villain and, and he can fight. What, what do you think? So, OK, I, I read your document before I did my rewatch. Obviously, I've seen this multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um. And going into it, I was thinking, yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. I do think there's some some flaws to the villain. And then 
I was also paying attention. I was like, oh, he's not as short as I remember him being. He's actually a, a taller guy than I think. It's just that accountant guy is really tall. Um, he is pretty much, he's like Patrick Swayze's height. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he might have more muscles than we necessarily think because we do expect big, big, you know, glistening muscles. And he's more lean. Um, yeah, I... I think him being super physically like the guy who could beat you up is a little silly. I I do notice at the end though, he fights with weapons. He has like a lance. He's throwing knives at him. So it's not really him punching. He is trying to use weapons. And then he's like, fuck the swords. I'm going to shoot you instead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think that his, his best villainy comes from the fact that he's got deep pockets. Yes. And a psychopathic mind. That's what is terrifying about him. Um, but I also think the fact that he could be driven to these bursts of violent anger physically adds another level of you don't expect it from him. And that's what makes it more terrifying because he doesn't look like the guy who's going to hit you. And I mean, I know the weapon stuff and, and like that makes a little sense. I guess, you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous that he's like somewhat efficient with them. If he had a gun, then that makes more sense, which he did. Um, and, and that would have been more in character. I mean, I, what I wanted was a final showdown and he gets some weird little villain monologue where he's like, it's finally you and me, Dalton. I, <laughs> I, I get to fight you. And then all of a sudden Swayze just knocks him out in one punch. I mean, that would have been more effective, honestly, because Probably. it's like, because it's like this guy's making your life and the town's life a living hell. And he's just a freaking shrimp. He's, he, he, he's a pest, yeah, um, but, but you is. nailed it. He, the scary thing about him is the deep pockets <laughs> because he's sending his goons to do his dirty work. Yeah. And 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 he has the whole town bought like he can he can get away with all these things and like Dalton can't really do anything about it, right? Yeah. Um and so she, that's I mean, the Jimmy, sca- those that's his those are his fists. Exactly. And and that's why I was I was good with those up until I'm like, okay, he's fighting him like just I wanted Dalton just to to knock him out and then it just be done. Very Indiana Jones-esque, you know, pulls out the gun and mm-hmm. shoots the guy with the sword. And I think part of that is cuz the movie wants to make a statement on on, on Dalton, because he goes for the throat rip again. Yeah. Which he only does when someone pulls a gun on him. He's only got one move. <laughs> yeah, and he stops himself because he doesn't want to be as bad as Brad. Granted, I don't really, I think that's a mixed metaphor because Brad is so yes. evil yes. that, and there is no law enforcement that's going to do anything about this guy. They're getting rid of him. Yeah. And Swayze just killed like, a bunch of guys before that, yeah, too. Yeah, no, exactly. It it definitely, like, that is where it loses its... And it is it is definitely a commentary on that so that then the townsfolk can step up and say and, and show that Swayze being there has given them the courage to mm-hmm. take their town back. And I think that's what it wants to say. And there was probably another way to do it. I think it, that act is definitely what could use the most work because it is a little silly. Like, yeah, sure, the polar bear fall, falling on Tipper is really funny. It's mm-hmm. a great, like, it's comedic, but there definitely was another way to do that showdown where, you know, you almost do a high noon thing, actually, because the whole thing in high noon, and then you pull another Western, is that. You have the gang, the outlaws coming into town, and he's trying to get people for a posse, and nobody will stand up with him. Right. And that's kind of what Dalton's been trying to do. He's been trying to get these. And so maybe you do have that showdown the way they do in High Noon, 
and then the guys show up and they, you know, and so then you call back to another classic. um, And you also call back to the communism joke because there's a joke about it earlier in the movie when Sam Elliott says it to the guy at the strip club. That would be a really smart spin that way. Um, And then that still achieves what it wanted to achieve and makes a commentary about, you know, community and coming together as a town in a way that's more in line with what these characters have been showing us. I, I mean, I am, I'm on board with you for that as well. That's, that's how it, it should be. And I think that was the biggest oppor- wasted opportunity mm-hmm. for me. And that's when I started losing it in that third act. Yeah. Because, that's the, the weakest act. Yeah. Because I, I'm looking at, at, at Wesley as one of the villains, kind of like a Hans Gruber or mm-hmm. Hans Landa or Owen Davian from Mission Impossible 3 He's or brains. even John He's Doe not from... Brawn. Yeah. 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 Or John Doe from seven where, you know, you don't see them, you don't see them fight really, but you see them do these, these fantastic plans. And Owen Davian, he punches Ethan a couple times in Mission Impossible three, but he's struggling and you can tell. And Ethan is like, he's like really, really hurt. So Owen is basically kicking a man while he's down. And Tom Cruise is also a smaller guy than Patrick Swayze. Well, yeah, but I mean, Tom Cruise is Ethan Hunt and he's this, you know, impossible mission force guy who has years of training. So he's, but I guess like it's, it's aside from the point because a villain who can, can be like a Brad Wesley who can drive in the middle of the road and not care at all. Even if he almost runs you Mm -hmm. over is just, and hit his girlfriend and, and not give a care in the world. Like he's obviously a bad dude. And, and his deep pockets and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his, his henchmen that he uses, those are the ones that will instill his power or his force. So yep. I, I would have just loved to see, and it would have been so fitting for him to just get knocked out in one punch or something like that. And then the townspeople come in and they're like, yeah, we're going to take care of this. Or you can even do it the same way. Maybe not shoot him four times in the chest with a shotgun because there's no way that he'd be alive from one of those shots. But no. whatever. Um, they just all wanted a shot at him. It, and I'm okay I'm yeah. okay with that. I get it. It's them all doing it together. It covers it up. It's like, I don't know. Who shot him? Did you? No, yeah. you? No, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But it's it, he was the weakest thing for me. Um, I wanted I wanted him. He, I mean, he's a prick. And like he says, he's like, you are such an asshole, like when he's on yeah. the phone or something like that. Um, when he does the heads tails thing, he calls him like an asshole. Yeah, and, no, he and, is. That's what makes him terrifying. It's, it's not... His physical threats, it's its the money and who will work for him. That's the threat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, it, the third act is definitely where it, it you know, could use the most. Like, eh, it's a little silly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't need a remake. <laughs> no, we're not. I mean, obviously they're making the remake for money. Um, yeah. I'm still going to see it when it comes out because it's it'll be on Prime. Um, I won't. I don't have high expectations. No. They're they're very, very low. And uh, I know if I watch it, I'm going to be like, damn it. And then I'll just probably watch the original and be like, okay, there we go. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. The original is just so much fun. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's great. It's a great watch. There you go. Okay. Well, those are all the questions I have on Roadhouse. Um, so <laughs> give me your hottest take on this movie, on movies of the genre, on whatever, whatever, whatever. I think Roadhouse is the smartest neo-Western. That is my my hot take. I, really? It is my hill. I think it is a really... Third act issues aside, female character issues aside, at the end of the day, what it is doing and trying to do and saying is the smartest spin on the Western genre I've seen outside of a few movies that actually came out 
during the time. I think it's the smartest of the modern neo-westerns. Not that hmm. it's that modern anymore. But it is combining genres in a way that we have not seen in other movies, and I think it's brilliant. Okay. I like it. I'm, I'm looking up some some neo-Western movies. I guess modern in the sense of, are you saying like 89 to like 95 or something? Or yeah. you just think overall. Okay, I, that makes yeah. more sense then. Because I'm like, there's some pretty good neo-Westerns, like No Country for Old Men, Wind yes, River. Yes, we're getting some, some newer, like new, new. Yeah. But of that kind of like time period when we were basically kids. Yeah. Um, but also I, I think what's interesting about this, unlike a lot of the, the neo-Westerns we're getting now, which are set in the Western time period, this is not. This is through the lens of the the action movie, which, mm-hmm. you know, much like what Logan is, it's through a, a superhero movie, which yeah. is why I think it's actually a great superhero movie. But at the end of the day, I'm going to watch Roadhouse more times than I'm going to watch Logan because it's also more fun. I would call Logan a Western more than I would call it a, a superhero movie. Oh, it is. It's a yeah. Western through... Using the disguise of a superhero movie. Absolutely. And I, I think it's also a fantastic movie. Oh, it's um, so good. Love, it's love wonderful. the shit out of it. Birdhouse is more fun. <laughs> well, I like it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I necessarily have a hot take on this. Um, it, it's it, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but I, I it's one of those ones that I can easily watch annually and just be like, man, this is such a fun movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... God, probably the best part in it for me though is is like Sam Elliott because oh, God, yes. He just he comes in and he's this wise old man who, well, eight years older than Swayze, who has seen some shit and he he's an experienced cooler who taught him stuff, but he's also oh, the yeah. voice of reason for Swayze. He's like, you know, you've taught me as much as I've taught you. And he's But I really- also I think it says something because he is willing to give up and that's when he dies is that it's saying once you've gotten into it, you can't just give up. You can't just turn your back on shit. That is also not a way to live. Well, yeah. And I I was conflicted by that a little bit because I was thinking that, you know, when he's like Wesley wins and I'm like, well, you know, I guess Mm -hmm. I don't know what the message is behind that because Wesley's a bully. And so bullying is a big thing right now um well it has been forever but we're we're more apparent in the past 10 years about bullying and now we have cyber bullying obviously mm-hmm. and i think it's really tough because at what point do you stand up to a bully and and i think that the flaw of of sam elliott's character is he you're right he does tell dalton like hey it's time to give in after he got beat up by three guys yeah and right before he dies and it's the tipping point when he gets killed by by the guys that you know i guess my my hot take was was dalton has to live with the guilt that he could have saved um wayne if he just took him with him in his car because he's like you stay here and yeah. have a beer all he was doing was going to get the doctor. Like, how is yeah, that dangerous? He He's going to a hospital Wayne. for Christ's sake. Wayne could have just come with him. Yeah. So I think Dalton, no matter what, the guilt and, and the onus of his his death kind of falls on him, um, which is hard and it, it's sad, but it, it really does fall on him. Mm-hmm. And so and I, I think they're also using the trope of the, you know, the mentor who has to die for the, mm-hmm. the you know. Yeah. I just Protégé I, I kind of wish he, he to... I wish he just got seriously injured and then he was like okay now I'm done with with bouncing and then but he still lived in the end like That's just because we like Sam Elliott so the, much because the cranky God. cranky old friend oh, but. but also like that role the way that role is written like he could you could hate him and you could be like why does Dalton love this guy but the way that Sam Elliott plays it you're like everything yeah. he says I don't care how mean some of the shit is like 
yeah, baby. Well, <laughs> Thank you. Aside, I mean, even aside from like the sexual stuff too, he just seems like a good friend. Mm-hmm. He seems like somebody who would have your back and a, and a wise mentor. Mm-hmm. And and I love the jovial nature between both of them. And I think that they they feed off each other. So yeah. it, it's it's a really it's a really good job. And I think Patrick Swayze actually gives a very good performance in this. Um, and the relationship is physically close too. It's not just like yeah, bro. They hug mm-hmm. all the time. They touch each other. It is physically affectionate in a way that we don't really see in westerns. Yeah. That goes to my hot take about it being brilliant. There you go. Exactly. Okay. Well, what is your letter grade for Roadhouse? Okay. If we're talking enjoyment factor, it's an A+. It's the most fucking enjoyable movie ever. (laughs) If we are talking in terms of structural issues and the issues that really are present, well-meaning aside, B-. minus. Okay. I like it. Yeah, I'm. I, I think I'm there with you. Um, I'm going to give it a B minus. Also, um, I really like the movie. Um, I can break it down a little more, just like we we just did. Yeah. And and explain to people who maybe will watch it and be like, "This is stupid." I'm like, "No, it's it's really not." Like, you I know, make people watch this. this yeah, is we one can of find. My, yeah, we can find meaning behind it. So yeah, I give it a B minus as well. Um, but yeah, that's Roadhouse. I'm glad we did it. How many times do you think you've seen this movie in your life? I don't know. <laughs> Not okay. So the first time I saw it actually wasn't that long ago. Um, mm-hmm. I I saw it maybe when I was twenty five or twenty six. Mm. Like I only saw it a few years ago. No, maybe even later than that. And then since then, I've been like Roadhouse, Roadhouse. Oh my god, I want to fucking talk about Roadhouse. I mean, the first time I came on this podcast, I know it was Halloween and we were doing Halloween shit. But I said, but you said, oh, come back on. I said. One day we have to discuss Roadhouse, and here we are. There we go, Roadhouse. It's all it's all coming together now. <laughs> I know um, we started with that god awful the haunting. Yeah, the haunting was was n- not good, not good. No, that movie. no, it was not. Gave me nightmares on how bad it was, but it's so bad. <laughs> so but you know, um, um, Owen yeah. Wilson is in the new uh, haunted mansion movie. I watched the trailer for it with my fiance, and he goes. Didn't we already try putting Owen Wilson in a gothic haunted house movie? That didn't go well the first time. Why are we trying that again? I know. Well, it's his redemption hour. There we go. He can just be like, wow, a ghost. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Amanda, what are you working on? And uh, where can we find you on social media? Yeah. Um, right now, I, I'm Fest Circuit still. So um, my movie is playing at the Chelsea Film Festival on October 14th. Woo-woo. So that's really exciting. Um, you can find me at amanda jane stern on instagram and tiktok and i think i have an actor page on facebook um yeah i'm working on true crime these days which is fun um i actually wrote a new script over the last two days that i've been working on that is a horror movie Ooh, just in time for spooktober yes it is a it's out there. It's <laughs> Long story short, it's about a woman who falls in love with the literal monster under her bed. Oh, I like it. Yeah, Sounds like an A24 joint. <laughs> cool. Call them up. Okay. Actually, I I'll, have their numbers. I'll, I could call I'll them. <laughs> tweet at them right now. <laughs> yeah. Be like, it's sexy. It's dark. It's I'll, fucked up. Take it. I'll tweet to, Bloom, to Blumhouse and I'll be like, hey, I got a pitch for you. So. <laughs> I don't know. As long as you sign the uh, SAG waivers. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. 
Um, okay, well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure having you, and we'll see you next week for, I think we're doing Ghost? Yeah, Is that what we're trying to do? more Swayze. Um, yeah, we gotta go crazy for Swayze. If we can also some- a good lead-in to Halloween. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Perfect. Um, and Spooktober is my favorite, so that'll be really fun. If for some reason we can find Tu Wong Fu, I would love to do that. If not, Same. I'm just going to have to watch it on my own because it's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, it's um, not. Last I checked, it's not streaming anywhere, but Ghost is, I think, on HBO. Yeah, Ghost says HBO, so yeah. I am cool with that. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you so much for being on this episode and thank you everybody else for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter and threads at DBCrazyPod and at ZachDale60 where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us if we're crazy or just send us funny memes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening and until next time, don't be crazy.